0: Hello, and welcome to Raw Fork Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Marina Booksov, or just Dr. Book for short. I'm a community pharmacist and an herbalist dedicated to serving my clients in the best way that I know how. I'm bringing you this podcast to share with you like-minded pharmacists and herbalists that want to work alongside each other and share similar visions for patient care. Please enjoy the show. Hi, Raw Forkers, and welcome to another enlightening episode of the Raw Fork Podcast. Today, I had the honor of speaking to Dr. Kathy Campbell. She's an independent pharmacist from Owasso, Oklahoma, who's been practicing for almost 28 years and has owned her own pharmacy for the last 19. Four years ago, she began a pharmacy-based weight loss program called Dr. Kathy Weight Loss. This has been a culmination of both intensive study and a deeply personal subject for Kathy for 40 years. Dr. Campbell has presented a TEDx talk about obesity and starving the cell. Last year, she created a pharmacy-based cooking demo curriculum called Pharexmacy. She now has partnered with NCPA to create and deliver an eight-hour CE credit. It's called Creating Health Pharmacist-Led Lifestyle and Weight Management Program, and you can look out for this in 2020. Besides being a dedicated healthcare provider to her patients, Dr. Kathy Campbell is also a wife and mom of two teen girls. Her goal is to be her patient's partner in health, not just disease. Please tune in to an amazingly informative episode as we talk about the current healthcare model and brainstorm some meaningful changes we can all implement for a brighter tomorrow. As always, please share this episode if you find it helpful or inspiring in any way and rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Please comment or don't hesitate to reach out to me, marina at rawfork.com. Thank you, and enjoy the show. Hello, Dr. Kathy Campbell. Welcome to the Rough Work podcast and video channel. Uh, Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Marina. It's really glad to be here.
0: So in your own words, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up, where you went to school, things like that.
1: Uh, yeah, my name is Dr. Kathy Campbell and I'm a independent clinical community pharmacist and I've been practicing in Owasso, Oklahoma, which is a northern suburb of Tulsa, Oklahoma for coming close to 30 years. Uh, I've owned my own pharmacy for about the last 20 years. So uh, I grew up in Tulsa. I grew up in a big family. I had the seventh of eight kids. I went wow. to school at U- University of Oklahoma. Um Really, I, I began practicing in places that were, I had a lot of autonomy. So right out of school, I was in a grocery store pharmacy, and then I went to a, uh, what was really an interesting, which was a managed care type pharmacy. That was an interesting model. And then as it happened, they closed those pharmacies. And that was when my husband and I had the opportunity to jump in to our own pharmacy in 2001. So I particularly love science and I'm always a science geek and I'm pretty creative. I've got kind of a creative mind, uh, but I particularly like science that makes a difference in the quality of people's lives. So applied science has always been what really intrigued me. So what I figured out probably a decade ago is what I do with pharmacy And the palette of pharmacy is creatively problem-solved for people, okay? And what I'm saying now is the rest of my career is about helping my patients not need pharmaceuticals. So I evolved over the years seeing these patients who became closer to me than some family. And I did not want them to progress into illness. Uh, And the medicines, the more and more we gave it just occurred to me that that was not the only piece of the puzzle. So I started looking, not only for my patients, but in my own health journey, as to what else is there. And knowing science and really enjoying the chemistry and the biochemistry, uh, it occurred to me the impact of nutrition and the impact of stress management um, was, it's biochemical. Those things change the physiology. So I've kind of evolved into a practice, and probably what I'm, I'm getting the most recognition for is pharmacy-based lifestyle medicine and weight loss. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to do a pod, uh, a TEDx talk in 2018 that kind of had some of my personal point of view around obesity. And what an incredibly wonderful thing to help people be healthy uh not just not be as sick you know those are two completely different paradigms so
0: absolutely yeah that sounds wonderful and i'll certainly link it in the show notes for the tedx talk you mentioned Uh, So how did you kind of educate yourself after the pharmacy school education you received to get the other pieces of the puzzle that you mentioned to uh, recommend lifestyle and stress reduction uh, habits and weight loss tactics for your patients? Did you uh, do some self-studying or maybe some more formal training around those areas?
1: I've done a little bit of all of that. I I think the biggest foundational piece is my own personal journey. I grew up obese in an obese family. So uh, at a five years old in 1973, I weighed 100 pounds, and there were no 100-pound five-year-olds in 1973, but there wasn't our family. Uh, my grandfather weighed 350 pounds in 1930. So In the midst of the Great Depression, when there was no food, we were still an obese. We were the ones going to, we had thrifty genes. We were the one that were going to survive the starvation. And so growing up with that kind of health uh, focus, um, you just learn. And what was great is I was big in a big family, so I was normalized. There wasn't a psychological stigma around my being overweight. I found other ways to be valued that wasn't necessarily related to my size, that was a huge advantage. But what I did do was look at my health. So I was able to study that issue personally uh, for 40 years, you know, 45 years, And uh, weight watchers, diet pills, you name it, I've done it, studied it, read it, tried it. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. And it occurred to me that it wasn't for me about the food. There were other critical factors, some we knew, some we didn't know, that are still being elucidated. But if that was my experience, as I interacted with patients, as I made certain observations and suggestions, or as I just researched the basic science, it just occurred to me that there's way more variables than eat less and exercise more, way more. And so I started sharing those with my patients and they started finding a new level of help, a new opportunity to actually impact their health and well-being. And yeah, by the way, they lost weight, you know, Um, that wasn't too bad either. So, yeah. And then, like I said, I really am a geek for science. I love it. Uh, I don't care if it's a nutrition journal or if it's a psychology journal It's how the human functions, how life functions. So I have a bachelor's of zoology, a bachelor's of pharmacy, and then I went back and got my doctorate of pharmacy. And if nothing else with those degrees, we are medicinal chemists, right? Nobody takes as much chemistry as a pharmacist, period. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. So we are the chemistry experts of the medical field. Now, I just didn't limit it to the chemistry of pharmaceuticals. I started looking at food pharmacology and then I started looking at the much more complex and harder uh, stress pharmacology and started to figure out how can I help my patients with those more nebulous kind of chemistries that we know are being impacted. Um, And that's been fascinating. So where did I study? I, i I'm just kind of a junkie for CE, so I've always had 30 to 40 hours of CE every year since 92. And then I became a compounding pharmacist. And with compounding pharmacy, you d- you tend to look for more solutions. And so there are uh, companies that support compounding pharmacists that provide some really fab- fantastic uh, continuing education. So that started going into a kind of a foundational, functional approach And then I found A4M and I found IFM, which are a couple of the functional medicine approaches. Uh, And then I'm just always signing up to learn stuff. Uh, I have a bookshelf full of those books that we all got rid of right after school. And I go back and I read them. Uh, So that's kind of different. So, yeah, I just I'm always looking for the, the reasons why people's bodies work the way they work and is there a way we can optimize them so they they have the health they want
0: wow beautiful (laughs) so yeah I guess all that geeking out is paying off huh?
1: (laughs) well maybe maybe I mean people appreciate when I can share something that can make a difference for them and why they and and being able to share it in such a way, and I think pharmacists at our best do this better than anybody. We take very very complex things and boil it down and say, go do this, and this is why. And I think that is, you know, we're the best health coaches in 30 second nuggets that there are. Uh, imagine if you actually give some, a pharmacist 30 minutes to coach someone and to support someone the outcomes are pretty phenomenal.
0: So, uh, I love that your motto is kind of like helping people feel better and reduce their pharmacological approaches and, you know, taking pills. But how does that work with your personal business model? Because you and your husband own an independent pharmacy for, you said, going on for 30 years already. Um, how does that fit in? Does it run parallel? Do you find a way to merge the two? Or do you do separate consulting services that, you know, don't function as part of your pharmacy business? Uh,
1: yes to all that. So the, the, the pharmaceuticals are a tool in the toolbox, okay? And about five years ago, it was very clear that as a business, pharmacists had lost control of their ability to profit, right? We lost control of our margin because we did not have the ability to set a price and set a profit margin. That was being controlled by other entities. And I actually asked my staff, how do you be a pharmacy and not fill prescriptions, and my answer is I'm going to keep my patients from needing pharmaceuticals and they're going to pay me to do that. OK, so I had to. But that was a challenge because pharmacy is kind of a one trick pony. Yeah. Right. We have one product and we were kind of hijacked. I mean, we even got rid of the soda fountains. That used to be a big product that pharmacies had. We even got rid of those. And in good faith, it was because of the over-prescribing. We were trying to handle all of these these prescriptions do it well, not kill people. And, but at the same time, we were getting squeezed on the margin. And when I really identified that that was not going to get any better, I started stepping away from the prescription side and started building other products to sell to my clients. And you have to provide value. I mean, it has to be a product that is valuable to them. Uh, So I started Uh, becoming their expert resource on supplementation. I started uh, doing some uh, weight loss program, a health coaching program, where I could coach them over 12 weeks in their health. And by the way, we're going to lose weight. Um, I actually also started doing cooking demos and some nutrition uh, stuff in the pharmacy because people have a hard time right now knowing what to eat. And then The actual prepping of it or cooking of it, it's almost like we've lost that. A couple generations have lost the ability to cook. And so I felt like I needed to help them with that. So those are the kind of things. I focused on products that will keep people well and is an opportunity for them to engage with me to pay. Uh, I do have a consulting type of a wing to my pharmacy and people do pay me to sit down and discuss their health to strategize their health.
0: Okay. So do you offer all of that as one-on-one packages or do you have some group classes or online packaging available?
1: Right now it's pretty much one-on-one and I do do group events. Uh, so I do the group cooking demos. I do group hormone balance, um, seminars. Um, I am working on the online product, but, uh, I'm a little technologically challenged, so I'm still getting all that together. Uh, But right now, those one-on-one is probably the biggest one. But I tell you, the group events are fantastic. I'm also doing um, employer engagement where I'm doing lunch and learns and starting to bring the, the health literacy and health understanding out to the employer so they can work on prevention as well. Uh, and that that's fun, too. And and I am getting paid for that. So that's really I think it's a, a good focus.
0: That's really nice. So who's paying you for that?
1: The employer. So, the employer is paying me to come and do those seminars.
0: So you're just networking with different businesses and just branching out and educating their staff.
1: Yeah. And I really think that the employer has really. Um, Been taken advantage of in our current health insurance system, because they are paying more and more. I mean, their profits have gone down and down and down, and because most of those profitability is going to the to the health insurance, the sick insurance, right? And they're not. And it's so stressful in a work environment right now because they're being squeezed, that the health of the employees are really terrible with stress. With poor nutrition, with um, you know nothing we do is ever good enough. That real uh, anxiety, economic stress. Um, so what I tell the employers is, is you know, if you had a hundred trucks that were blowing engines every every year, you would probably go figure out why and see if you could fix it before they blew. Well, nothing is the the worst investment an an Uh, an employer can put into their business is training an employee for 10 or 15 years and them dying of a massive heart attack in their forties. That is just from an, just an investment in the business that can disrupt and derail the success of a business. So I just think there's a real opportunity for the employers to really step back and start looking at the health and prevention not just spending all that money uh, to have this sick care available when it does happen.
0: Wow, that's a really good point. I always think about our tax money also going into the health, um, you know, the health industry and just paying for all the medications in one way or another, or, you know, just basically a burden if if a lot of our society is sick. Um, It's a burden on all of us.
1: It is. And, you know, what I I have that conversation with uh, my uh, congressional representatives, Uh, I'll go up and talk to them about the issues with insurance and all this stuff. But when I leave, I always end with this question. And the question is, we've got to start asking a different question about the health of our society, not how do we get more medicines, but why do we need so many medicines? Why are we so sick? Because if we don't, the, the outcomes will be catastrophic. We've got to start looking, why do we need so many medications? And taking 13 meds a day is not health. Not needing 13 meds a day is much closer to health. And I think that's where we should be focusing uh, as pharmacists and as all healthcare providers to get back to that.
0: Yeah, I love that. So, do you have any ideas as to how we can achieve that? You know, unload our burden and do a more preventative approach?
1: Well, I think um, first we got to start talking about it and we got to start retraining the last couple generations who were taught that foundational food was nuggets and fries. Okay. <laughs> I mean, really, from the eighties on, what children were taught to eat, which became what adults were used to eating, was driven by Wall Street and fast food establishments, drive throughs And if you look at what adults like to eat today, what the number one restaurants are, they're adult portions of kids' meals, the kids' menu. So you've got the nuggets and fries, the pizza, the burgers, and and mac and cheese <laughs> basically and so when I was growing up and I'm a little older than you I was born in the 60s uh, the, the the kids meal consisted of a vegetable a starch and a protein and you could not leave the table until that vegetable was gone right and that there was just a cultural shift that happened that one how you get food is through the drive-through and two what it looks like is Nuggets and fries. So that's where we lost a lot of the cooking, and we lost a lot of the the affinity or even even understanding the value of plant based nutrition, which is vegetables, right? So our our cultural norm shifted. Well, we got to shift it back. We got to start talking um, about what the body really needs to function optimally, not just what Wall Street wants to make money on.
0: Yeah. And in addition, kids from an early age can be taught not to eat this, the kids meal type things that you mentioned, but to actually look to the adults and copy them, mimic their plates. So if the adults are setting a good example. Chances are the kids will be eating that same stuff rather than looking that the adults are eating all this stuff. So now, of course, the kid is not going to go and eat a vegetable, you know, when they don't have that around them. They a lot of kids don't even know how vegetables look like or how yep. they grow and where they come from.
1: Yep. Well, and I have I have even adults come to me and say, "Well, I don't like vegetables. I want to lose weight, but I don't like vegetables." And I say, well, "I get that. I totally respect that." And it doesn't change the the fact that your body needs them to function. <laughs> you know, all they that plant is is the biochemistry to operate our pathways, right? And, you know, I was at a conference that the, this uh, physicist stood up there and they're studying the network of cells. It was really fascinating, but he threw up on this slide that had sweet basil on it. And they were studying this, the, the, the actual plant and the chemistry in the plant and how it works on the cell network. And there's 2,193 chemical compounds in sweet basil That is phenomenal to me. It's incredibly complex. And one, the fact we don't have it means our complex body doesn't have that support. But, you know, two, what we've got, I mean, if you put sweet basil with olive oil and garlic, you just probably tripled the the (laughs) chemical variety for the body to handle. So we've got to get back to giving the body the foundational biochemistry, and that is food. At least that's a big chunk of it.
0: Yeah, I remember old-time debates like, "Oh, maybe in the future you'll just need a pill, and you you won't even need to eat because all your micronutrients and essential minerals will be in the pill." So to me, it was always like, "Oh, but where's the pleasure in that?" You know, we like eating, we like the texture, we like uh, the communion with the people around us at mealtime. So it's fine to enjoy that part of life. It's beautiful, but the types of food that we need should be based on our biochemistry, not just, like you said, on the ease and the industry that have become normalized.
1: Well, and, and I think the industry wants to s- reduce it to down to that pill, right? And the reality is it's it's we're too complex for that. And um, not just the nutrition, but it's, it's also the microbiome, you know, when, you know, only 10% of our human body is human DNA. When I heard that, I was pretty struck by that going, Whoa, what's the rest? Well, they're all the other mitochondrial, bacterial, fungal, viral DNAs that are, that are in there. And I asked my, my patients when I, when I teach about this, I say, are they hosting us or are we hosting them? Mm -hmm. And I I really think they're hosting us. And if we don't feed them some of the appropriate chemistry, they don't work as well, or they may become toxic or the bullies start taking over, right? And so there is a complexity there that we are just beginning to grasp. Um, And I think we have to stop reducing our health to a, a pill. We, we're way too complex for that. Um, genetics, I remember when the, the genetic microbiome was coming out and they were all excited. I think it was late 90s or maybe early 90s. They were mapping it and they're like, oh, when we figure this out, we're going to have all this stuff we can do. Well, what they figured out was it's more complex than that and that the, micro, the, the actual genetics are designed to turn on and turn off and flex and mm-hmm. to respond. And so just because you have X genetics, that doesn't mean, that's your hardware. The software is life. Yeah. It is that food coming in. It is the wind that blows. It is the fear. It's early trauma. There's so many other components that play into this. Um, and so, you know, I just have kind of taken my fascination with understanding all that and tried to help people live a great life. That's really what what my mission and 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 passion is is I want you to have a great life and health is foundational to that to me
0: absolutely and is that why you offer compounding services as well because it's more of an individual approach and it's more personalized like what kind of services do you do
1: absolutely and I I've told people that I do not compound as a business model and I probably would have made a lot more money if I had I compound because sometimes that's how you take care of the patient. That's how you clinically problem solve for some people is in that compounding space. Uh, it is personalized, and, and, but it is valuable, too. It is a creative way to have solutions that aren't reduced to the patent pharmaceuticals. We've got other solutions that are available.
0: So where do you find yourself making the biggest impact with your clients, whether it's through your programs or one-on-one? Is it that diet piece? Um, is it eating more locally? Is it more plant-based? Is it uh, looking at their stress or like, what's the biggest impact that you find yourself making?
1: Well, that's a great question. Um That's a really great question. Healthcare happens one-on-one, okay? So I think ultimately it's connecting one-on-one and empowering the patient through my care, through pharmacist care. So ultimately what I know about a patient's body isn't as important as what they know, okay? So the more I can come and educate and help them understand their machine, Then the the magic happens. So, that most of the things that I'm doing, whether it's social media, whether it's the seminars, or if I'm out even in leading something in the community, it's all foundationally so that they know more about their machine. Okay. And because they know more, they can utilize that to experiment. with their machine, listen, and then generate a different outcome, or at least learn something more towards that end.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. So you kind of have to find what motivates them to create a better future for themselves and just encourage them and give them the tools that they could use so that their motivation is right there in the forefront and then they go for it, they just make the changes because they realize something is more important than a convenient lifestyle of not eating vegetables, for example.
1: Well, I, I, I operate with a fundamental assertion. Um, I have a fundamental assertion that no one wants to be sick and no one wants to be fat, okay? Now, often we are those things because of what we don't know we don't know, right? Or we live in a culture. I also assert that culture drives health. You and I don't. So culture is the water the fish swims in, right? And we live in a particularly toxic culture right now, where it is—it's actually a little very different and very countercultural to be healthy, right? To actually not need those intervention is kind of radical. So once people kind of see that that's the game and they, they, they learn what they didn't know before, all of a sudden they have different opportunities. And sometimes we make one choice and sometimes we make another. And I tell people there's no good food, no bad food. There's just what it does to you. And what we have to correlate, and what I help my patients do is correlate what is it doing to you. Um, then they get to choose. But it's it's empowering them to understand and then to responsibly and to with all the information they can make a, a powerful choice. But none of it's about shame or blame or being wrong. No. Nah. there's no good or bad with me. There's just what is it and what do you want? <laughs>
0: That's a great approach. Yeah, um, I think often the science behind it hasn't caught up to, like you said, the major culture and the majority of news sources that we have. And even in medical schools, the link between diet and illness isn't thoroughly explored or taught. So it is kind of radical. But the good news is there's like all these pockets of information and enlightenment that I feel like are going on where people are Actually, awakening and choosing to to stop the cycle of taking a pill, if you can, you know, avoid it. Sometimes, absolutely, you need a pill. You need something more extreme or a surgery. But if you can avoid it, then why not avoid it? If you can, you know, heal yourself in other ways.
1: I I totally agree. I mean, but you know, there's a cognitive bias. I think that's happened in my generation. So I'm 53. Uh, There's a cognitive um, bias that we just think everybody eats kind of like we do, which is, for the most part, a vegetable, how we grew up, right? And I think a lot of medical professionals don't realize how bad the foundational nutritional is right now and that there are people living off of Snickers and lattes and bagels and things that will cause a biochemical response in the body that looks like fatty liver, that looks like elevated blood pressure, that looks like hyperinsulinemia, that looks like, oh, yeah, by the way, weight gain as a result of all that. Um, but I think there's a cognitive bias that not everybody, they don't know what people are eating. they just assume it's not as bad as it really is. Um, the problem is, you know, I, I, I started the cooking demos when I saw one, that patients were having a heck of a time with food. But two, um, I read a little bit of science that said whether or not you had money was not a determinant of health. Whether or not you cooked was. And so I was like, I gotta get people cooking again. I gotta get them stir frying, And so I just do like an hour demo in the pharmacy and I'm peeling, I'm chopping, I'm sautéing. Very simple, but they can see it. And I had a woman who came to Decembers, and this is so great. And then she came to January, and she said, Kath, I love what we did in December. I've been cooking those. They've made such a difference. My, I'm down five pounds, and my morning blood sugars are down 10 points. Wow. From a one-hour cooking demo, giving her a few foundational concepts, She's been able to implement into, into her life and we're seeing some results. I'm just, that's just like, woo, I love that. I love that.
0: <laughs> and I also love that it's a connection that we are making to the food. So it makes us more mindful of the fact that we're putting this into our bodies, uh, connecting to it on another level, slowing down and appreciating it more. So that's a really big piece too.
1: It is. And, you know, the other little piece that I think we all forget is the process of digestion and how long it actually takes the body to prepare to digest. And it used to be you had you started thinking about food about an hour before you could actually eat it because you had to stoke the fire. You had to do all this <laughs> stuff all the while you're thinking about that food and then you start smelling the food. And so there is a process of digestion that we're missing, too when mm-hmm. we drive through and engulf. Uh, and I, I tell patients all the time, just because you eat a good diet, or if you eat a good diet, you take great supplements, but your gut doesn't absorb them into the bloodstream, did you eat them? And the answer is right. no, you didn't. It didn't get in there. So the, the key is getting the whole system to work.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like your enzymes start already kind of in the saliva they start developing in the gallbladder and liver they're already preparing to digest and if they're not there then your whole digestive tract slows down and you're burdening and now you have to spend extra energy digesting and sometimes your nutrients get depleted with the digestion process depending on what you're ingesting so it's you know the slowing down and being mindful actually goes a long way
1: long long and chewing and chewing that and chewing too. well it <laughs> helps a, a lot and you know i what i my tedx talk was i named it uh, obesity the modern famine and the main tenet is that we are starved at the cell and basically the mitochondria doesn't have the the vital nutrients to work and arguably there's evidence to say that not only they don't have the nutrients they are are particularly bombarded with things they have to fight against, but the cell is starved. Mm-hmm. And and so what the body does in that kind of a crisis is downregulate and go into a crisis mode, which it looks a lot like obesity.
0: Yeah, metabolism slows down. You're trying to survive. It's Yeah, it's going to survival mode, so it's going to hold on to the extra yep. calories and weight. So how did you get onto the TEDx platform and... What are your current endeavors?
1: Uh, I tell people it was an email from God. So I don't know. I just got an email that invited me to do a uh, to propose a topic at my local um, university, University of Tulsa. And so I just typed it up and pushed send. And then they called me for an interview. And I just went in and, and you know, spoke of what I'm so passionate about. And and they said, we would love it. Uh, and so I went through that arduous process. There, that's a very interesting process. I am glad I did it. But my physiology, the stress of that was very interesting to watch and to feel my body shift within that stress. So that was very interesting. But it was a fantastic uh, opportunity. And, and I was happy with the results. Um, currently, I am... I think what I'm most excited about is I've been asked to help pharmacists around the nation to start thinking this way. And so I created with uh, NCPA, National Community Pharmacists Association, um, a course. And the course is called Creating Health, Pharmacist-Led Lifestyle and Weight Management. And so we kicked that off in October. We're gonna be delivering it around the nation this year several times. I've got one on March 20th in Washington, DC. And it's an eight hour course that covers the breadth of lifestyle approach, which is all the little pieces of the puzzle, right? And, and, and for pharmacists to step back and not just be hooked on to the pharmaceuticals, but, uh, and I remind everybody, most medications are only approved by the FDA as an adjunct to diet and exercise. They're not even supposed to work without those other two. And so I just started talking and helping the patients with those other two in an effort to get better outcomes and have those medications actually work. And so when I say the rest of my career is about my patients not needing pharmaceuticals, uh, you could also say not needing more, because if we don't have the ones that are taking work, they're going to end up needing more and more and more and progress. And so yeah. this this approach is about optimizing their health at any stage. And if that requires a pharmaceutical, great. But who better than a pharmacist to help them with that? Um, so that course I'm really excited about. Um, I'm working on a a local grant, pretty big statewide grant right now, because I really want to bring this lifestyle approach uh, definitely to my community. But I think grant opportunities may be something pharmacists uh, can find some resources to do some of this stuff. So I'm playing in that field right now. Um, What else am I doing? Uh, And I'm running a pharmacy, too. I mean, we're still doing that. I've got the cooking I'm really excited about bringing uh, cooking information to pharmacies around the nation. I want to help them be able to help their patients with food. So we are working on getting that out in the market to uh, help pharmacists with that. Um, So I've got probably more than I can handle. And sometimes it's a little bit overwhelming, but I'm excited for this.
0: Yeah, it sounds wonderful. So uh, is this an in-person CE course? Is it a one-time, one-day deal, or is it spread out into modules? And what platforms uh, are offering it?
1: Currently, it is a eight-hour CE, one day. Uh, We are in the process this year of creating modules to go online, but that'll probably, our goal is to deliver that late, probably October of 2020. Um, So that. That is coming. I'm excited about that. Um, basically, with the eight-hour course, my I had to figure out, do I go deep in a narrow amount or do I go shallow and broad? And I went shallow and broad, and the onlines are going to be deeper dives into each of the components. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about that, and that is part of my to-do list this year.
0: Nice. So what would be your advice to other pharmacists hoping to follow in your footsteps or students that want to start implementing this approach right away after graduating?
1: Um, I think we have to learn food again. Um, and, And I actually coach people on a low glycemic Mediterranean approach. And people often, you know, everybody's like, eat healthy, eat healthy. Well, what does that actually mean? Well, to me, it means seven servings of plant a day, seven cups of plant. Now, all the, if you can get seven cups of plant in every day, you don't have much room for anything else, right? And even if you like green leafies and stir fries and all these different plant-based stuff, even if you like it, that's not an easy thing to do in our current culture cuz I don't know about you people bring me donuts they don't bring me broccoli, right? Right. So right. it it just doesn't show up. So I often would say learn the foundationals of nutrition. You don't have to go get a degree in it. This is, you know, it's basics. It is vegetables and it's protein and it's carbohydrates and it you know, learn the Mediterranean approach. And then that's a good foundational approach everywhere else. Now, there are reasons to do other approaches. Great, but from the foundational, pharmacists are great generalists. We have to be able to talk to people about this component. And if you have a diabetic that is is not eating low carb, they should. So read the current recommendations around low carbohydrate approach with diabetes And finally, in 2019, the ADA said, oh, there might be some value there. So learning how to do that is pretty critical. And that should be a foundational coaching to all diabetic, pre-diabetic type uh, patients. So I think that that's something out of the gate you can do. The other thing is, if you're a pharmacist, every pharmacist that graduates is a clinical pharmacist, period, right? Right. Now, the the difficulty is to not lose the clinical chops with your practice site, right? And that's one thing that I didn't do, because I enjoy being clinical with my patients so much that I would ask to see their labs when they're picking up their statin, right? I would ask what their A1C is, and I'd have them report back to me. So I don't hesitate to have those kind of conversations at the point of sale with the patient. And remember, healthcare happens, healthcare provider to patient. That's where it happens. And we can't let anything get in the way of that therapeutic relationship. So, uh, you know, that's, that would be my foundational stuff. I do like functional medicine and the, the science base of that, but I don't think you have to go get a certificate in that to be able to make these kind of recommendations. The foundations are simple. Simple, but they ain't easy right now. Our society does not make it easy to eat well, drink well, sleep well, have fun, and rest and recover, right? Those are the foundations of life. And we have to get back to that as healthcare providers and factor that into the whole therapy.
0: So with, I love, you know, the idea of dispensing less pharmaceuticals because our patients will be getting healthier. So how do you think we can make it part of the business model and actually get paid for those services of improving
1: health outcomes? That's a great question. And I was having conversations about that today. Uh, I actually had a health plan contact me last week to come and visit with me and see what we're doing. Um because when you can sit down and talk to somebody about their life, you can help them be well and that is not a dispensing fee. It's going to have to be a different model and it's going to be more like a probably a a health coaching model or maybe a an annual fee or possibly it is a per member per month type of fee. But first of all patients consumers cannot buy something you don't offer okay so i had to offer a product that they could buy first right, right. so i had to, i had to create an appointment where i could sit down with people and put a dollar sign on it and give them the opportunity to buy it if i had never done that they would have never been able to engage me right The weight loss, I had to create that program, put a dollar sign on it, market it and put it out there so people could engage with me. So I think the thing that as a as a profession is we've got to package our product, our services and our value a little differently than what we have done. And it's going to take some effort and it's going to be uncomfortable because we're not really good at bragging on ourselves or marketing ourselves does that answer that
0: yeah thank you so much uh so if you just have a couple more minutes i have a few (laughs) rapid fire questions left okay all right uh what's the number one thing listeners can implement right now to improve their quality of life
1: low carbohydrate approach do not drink sugar get the sugar out and if you can uh just i a carb audit is something i'll have my patients do well they will just audit the amount of carbohydrates going in their body i tell them don't change anything i want to see how much and that's total carbohydrate minus fiber equals net carbs and it's kind of a simplistic way of doing it but it really has people start looking at the quality of that chemistry going in their body so that's one thing i think the other thing is get eight hours of sleep
0: nice absolutely (laughs) (laughs) people forget and underestimate the sleep also uh what's a hobby or favorite pastime of yours
1: um I actually really like home improvement or mowing lawns lawn work (laughs) I grew up and I put myself through college doing some of that but when I do it it's it's a place where I can think and I can just it's kind of methodical so I like doing that a lot
0: yeah it's like a moving meditation
1: <laughs> it is and you accomplish stuff too so yeah. I like that
0: uh, what's a favorite beverage that you prefer to drink
1: um, I do like it I like green tea but I, I like water with lemon I've kind of I don't have very many I do have a little indulgence with some coffee with a little bit of sugar in it uh, that's about the only three things I drink <laughs>
0: All right. Keeping it classy. <laughs> so I want to thank you, Dr. Kathy Campbell, for coming on to the show and sharing your wisdom. And please tell the listeners how they can learn more about your work and get in touch with you.
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, so you can contact me at Kathy at Dr. Kathy says that's K-A-T-H-Y at D-R-K-A-T-H-Y-S-A-Y-S dot com. You can look me up on our website at drkathysays.com. And like I said, by all means, check out my, uh, I would love to hear what you think about the TEDx. Uh, It's Kathy Campbell, Obesity, the Modern Famine. So feel free to, you know, um, just keep in touch. Touch out, reach out, and I'd be happy to visit with anybody.
0: Awesome. Thank you again. And I'll have all that information in the show notes for our audience. Have a great evening ahead.
1: Thank you, Marina. really appreciate it.
0: All right. Take care. Mm Bye-bye. As always, please send any questions, inquiries, requests to me. My email is marina at rawfork.com or just go on my website, rawfork.com. Leave me a note there. Thank you and have a great week ahead.